Hey there. Thanks for tuning in. This is Love What I Love, a podcast where we beg our partner to love something we do, whether it be a movie, TV show, or anything in between. We're your hosts, Masha and Andy. And this week, we're talking about Big Fat Liar. Come on, come on, now tell me, do you like Smash Mouth? <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is the era of this film. <laughs> you gotta love the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, like, music montage at the opening of the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's, I still think it's 90s. I think every decade bleeds three years into the decade. <laughs> like 90 to 93 is still very much the late 80s. Right. Uh, 2000 to 2003 was still the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this 2002 comedy starring Frankie Muniz and Paul Giamatti is about a 14-year-old pathological liar, Jason Shepard. Jason ventures out to L.A. after learning a Hollywood producer, Marty Wolf, played by Paul Giamatti, stole his short story, Big Fat Liar, and is making it into a big motion picture. Jason hopes to track down Marty and get him to admit that Big Fat Liar is based on his short story, a huge undertaking just so he can regain his father's trust. Andy, I've been trying to convince you for years that this movie is actually good, so... (laughs) What were your thoughts coming into this? Um, I had very low expectations. <laughs> I remember when this movie came out. I uh, had to have been 12 at the time, and I was already not interested. Oh. Like At that point, I'd already kind of left Nickelodeon behind me and kind of like that whole era of entertainment. You betrayed them at 12? Yeah, pretty much. I mean... Whoa. I don't know if that's early or late, because I was late. I don't know. I mean, like, Lord of the Rings came out the year before. Like, you know, like, oh, wow. like I was, uh, it was hard to, you know, my, if this was five years early, I would have been all over this movie, you know, like, as like a kid, like under 10, you know, I was watching every silly thing around three, anything that had kids acting rebellious, I was all about. <laughs> but like, I don't know, once you, you know, hit a, start seeing certain other types of movies for the first time. And then, like, it's not that I was too old for it. It's just at that age, you know, it's easy to want to put childish stuff behind you. Like, I, I mean, I don't know, it might be different for everybody. But, like, me growing up especially as, like, the boys in the class. Like, in sixth grade, you were supposed to... That's what, how old I was when this came right. out. Like, you're, you're starting to get into girls. You start, you know, you want to, like, cool things. Like, you, like music is cool, you know? So, yeah. I wasn't really going to run around and tell my friends, let's all go see the new, like... I know it's not a Nickelodeon movie, but, like, right. it's got the DNA all over it. So, I was like, let's go see that. But I did love Frankie Muniz. So, like, I do remember it very fondly coming out. Like, I remember the trailers. I remember, like, everything about it. And it was probably just because of how much I loved Malcolm in the Middle. Mm-hmm. So, like, I always remembered that. But, yeah, I just skipped right over it. And I never really gave it much thought until you brought it up <laughs> when we first started <laughs> dating. And my first reaction was, is that movie where the guy turns blue for no reason? <laughs> and I was like, well that was actually going to be my next question did you think that paul giamatti's character would be blue the entire movie obviously i didn't think he was like a blue man like i knew that they like they somehow turned him blue with a prank but yeah i I was actually shocked when the paint came off for the final act i Mm -hmm. thought it was going to be there for the rest of the movie just because it's every piece of promotional activity like the poster he's blue from all the trailers it's all blue jokes so yeah i just thought this was going to be like 
Blue City. And it was for a nice chunk of the movie, but right. I, I like that they kind of put that aside and, <laughs> and let the movie finish out. I figured if I blew myself early, I'd be nice and relaxed for a nine o'clock dinner reservation. I apologize if that's technically a spoiler. I can move it. What's a spoiler? <laughs> that Paul's not blue the entire movie. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this was released in 2002, so... If anything, it would be a spoiler that he turns blue if the marketing <laughs> put it all over everything. Like. I know. I wish they didn't. Well, this is the beginning of Paul's career, right? So people aren't going to know Paul anyway, so might as well make him a blue guy and have yeah. people question, like, what's the blue guy about? Well, and also, I mean, you're trying to sell it to kids, and the kids love pranks, and, like, the cornerstone right. of this movie is pranks so it's mm -hmm. like you know you got to showcase some of that in the you know kids aren't going to want a slow burn trailer like you know <laughs> like they, they want to know what, what's funny and when it's coming what's your uh like history with paul giamatti like was the first time you ever saw him did you know anything about him yes i like many kids i think who watched this movie this was my first exposure to paul uh -huh. um it's so funny that you call <laughs> actors by their first name oh. like you know them <laughs> Yeah, and now that Paul, Paul comes over for dinner, so uh, like every week it's really cool to I see I mean, him. Paul's listening to this podcast right now, so, you know, DM me. No, no, no. Oh, wait, that sounds... I don't want that. Yeah. Like, I want friendship. Okay. okay. So, Paul, if you could slide yes. into our DMs, that would Listen. be great. <laughs> this was my first exposure to Paul Giamatti, so... But I didn't, like... You know, I wasn't thinking as a kid, like, oh, this is a comedic actor. Like, I wasn't thinking of actors, like, expecting them to see them in that kind of role moving forward. Yeah. I, but I, I do remember, like, really, really liking him in this role. And uh -huh. that was special to me because I traditionally hate villains. Actually, yeah, that is so true. Yeah, like, I hate the characters. And it, it just, it even goes outside of the movie. I'm like, oh, that guy. But, yeah. like, for some reason in this movie, he played it so well that... There, there are so many times where we'll watch something. It'll have, like, a great villain. Like, someone that's fucking fleshed out, written really well, like... Like truly pops on the screen and you'll be like, oh, I hate him. I don't want to ever... And like you talk about it so personally and I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> the reason you hate him is because they did a good job portraying it. Like you got to respect the villain, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I find it funny how personal you take villains and you're like, that person's bad. I don't like him. Right. <laughs> yeah. But he just had such a fun element to him. The way... Well, we'll talk about it more, yeah, but yeah. I just feel like... Paul really approached this character very well. Do you have other Paul Giamatti roles you like? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I've been Billions has been on my list for so long. Uh -huh. I just know that I I, I want to see it because of Paul. Well, what about you? Never saw Sideways. No. Oh, that was like his breakthrough. That was two years after this. this yeah. Was 2004 and uh, Sideways like put him on the map. Man, do I not watch Paul after yeah, this? I Maybe guess so. I just like have just seen this yeah. and been like, Paul's great. <laughs> it's a, that's a great like comedy. It's a comedy like drama. Like it's not uh -huh. like it's not like a silly movie. Right. It's about two dudes wine tasting and, and crazy things happen. Ooh, do you love it? Uh, I'd have to rewatch it. I haven't seen it since like probably when the DVD came out. Oh, okay. Ten. 15, 15 years ago? I'm mm -hmm. old. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I had to rewatch it, but I remember liking it a lot. So, maybe potentially stay tuned. Cool. Reasons why I love this yeah, movie. Yeah, what did you, where, where did you, uh, what's the history? <laughs> the Mosh history? The Mosh story. Sure. Oh, <laughs> God damn it. You closed at the top. Just... All right. So, there are a couple reasons why I love this movie. One, the concept. This movie revolves around the value is is the truth overrated for me as a kid 
lying was like the biggest (laughs) (laughs) cause of stress. Like I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I don't know why, but I remember (laughs) there was one point where my cousin came over to my house, right? Uh This is a very distinct memory. And we had those um, like blinder shades on our window Uh and I, we basically like were playing around and then one like ripped off uh-huh. and we, uh, my cousin, like, I was like, I have to tell my mom, like we broke <laughs> it. And my cousin was like, no, just like hide it somewhere. <laughs> and you know, I listened to my cousin, even though I was stressing, like I remember stressing. <laughs> we hit it like somewhere like obvious, like why didn't we just throw it out? You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like it was just so, <laughs> my mom found it and she like came at me like with the belt and everything she was like why did you lie to me yes so it wasn't the breaking the thing it was the lying yeah Yeah, yeah. and i just remember like as i was getting hit like i deserve this (laughs) why did i lie to my mom but anyway (laughs) i don't know why this reminded me of that but i just great that's i mean that explains the connection to you know (laughs) the theme the moral of the movie right and you know usually stuff like scenarios where like people could easily get out of it by telling the truth those kind of scenarios bother me in movies yeah but for some reason i i thought this tackled it very well and was it's not a realistic scenario but i just felt like everything wasn't it wasn't so like out of control the the beats in this movie where frankie munez's character is deciding when and when not to tell the truth Uh so i don't know it i i really like the concept of the movie and how it was written nice do you have any memories of like when, when you saw it for the first time? I don't. You don't remember any time you saw it for the first time. That, <laughs> well, that's a running theme I've noticed on this show. Well, the problem is... You know, like, like It was implanted in my brain and all I woke up and I liked it. Well, the problem is every movie I bring up on this podcast is a movie that I've watched hundreds of times. Like so many times I'm not going to remember the first time I watched it. Well, like, you don't even remember like... Something had to make you want to watch it the first time. Well, like, I remember the trailer. Like, I remember wanting to not watch it. Like, I, you know what I mean? So, it's like... Well, Frankie Muniz, yeah. same here. This was, like, the same era of, like, Cody, Agent Cody Banks. Oh, so, yeah. But also Amanda Bynes. Like, I loved Amanda Bynes. And uh-huh. this was her for the first time see- seeing her in a big picture. Yeah, yeah. So, that was really exciting for me. Nice. Yeah. So, the whole aspect of, you know, telling the truth and also that whole disappointing your parents angle really spoke to me uh-huh. because in this movie, uh, Jason is trying to prove to his father, like to regain his trust and be like, I'm not a liar. Yeah. So if I could jump in, like that was one of the things that I was pleasantly surprised with the movie mm. because I I knew the general plot of the, before we went into it. Like I knew it was about this kid's a liar and then a, someone steals his idea and makes a movie out of it and he goes to Hollywood to try and sabotage it right but i thought it was just i thought it was gonna be because he wanted to get credit for the movie like i thought he was gonna like be lying the whole first half of the movie then someone's gonna steal his stuff and lie about it and then it's just gonna be like a lie off to see who like and then in the end he's gonna be like this is my movie like i wrote this blah blah blah. but i liked that they took the moment to write that the character didn't give a crap about the movie but he didn't even want to stop the movie he didn't care that marty wolf put his name on the movie and everything right it was about how disappointed his dad was in him and i was like all right that's at least a skeleton of like you know mm. like that's something to actually work on and not make me hate this kid because it's so easy to hate like you know this kid is just breaking <laughs> laws left and right in this right. movie he's just <laughs> tormenting people like, he's not like doing very noble things but at least it was grounded in the fact that it was about 
his relationship with his dad and getting that trust as opposed to like, no, I deserve this movie. Because if it was about him being like, I deserve to get credit for this movie, I'd right. be like, no, not really, because you've been lying your whole goddamn life. Yeah. And you're kind of <laughs> shitty. But I like that it was very early in the movie where he was just like, I now have this like mission. I have to like prove to my dad that I'm not a piece of shit. Right. So yeah. like I thought that worked. I was pleasantly surprised. Because I really thought I was going to like not like, like as soon as the movie started, I was like, all right, this, this kid kind of sucks. And now I have to sit here and act like, you know, I'm on his team. Yeah, like but, you're rooting for him. Yeah, but but that angle actually made me did root for him. You know Aww, what I mean? Oh, yes. Even though he was totally just a demon. Like, he terrorized everyone. Like, Sandra <laughs> O calls him a demon child. Like, <laughs> like this kid is like a modern-day problem child. Hey, P-Brain, what are you doing here? I, I'm glad that that surprised, pleasantly surprised Yeah, yeah, you. like, a lot of the, oh, come on, like, for, like, a lot of these kids' movies, like, they could be made for the quick, not, not too much thought put into it. They're just like, listen, as long as the funny gags are there, we got the kids. But I like that it had the skeleton of a movie. <laughs> right, it had substance. <laughs> yeah. And the last two things that I loved about this movie, the, the theater of it all and like the Hollywood aspect, you, we get to see the universe a lot and yeah. a lot of the movie takes place there. And I think this might have been the start of me realizing like I love TV and, uh, you know, movies and production and, and stuff. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is what I ended up in. We both did. Yeah, so yeah. I thought that you would enjoy that part of the movie oh, yeah, at least fun. at the very least. It was fun. Yeah. For sure. And also the cast and the cameos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably my favorite part. That I remembered. I I guess I didn't see many ads for this movie, and I meant to look up the trailer for it, but yeah. I don't know if they left the cameos as a surprise or not, but uh, I remember being surprised when I watched the movie. Like this time? No. Uh, uh, when I, when what, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember the first like time yeah, I watched yeah, yeah. it, but I remember like being like, oh, snap, I know who that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For such a silly movie, they actually put, the work in like they got good comedic actors they had a high budget like mm -hmm. it was it wasn't f as phoned in as i thought it was going to be going in nice but i might be jumping ahead so <laughs> Ooh. oh my god so the reasons why i think that you should love this movie again i already mentioned the hollywood of it all uh -huh. i feel like it actually has stakes which is something that you always are you're like what's what are the stakes yeah yeah what are, what are we watching this for yeah. that's, that's me that's your impression <laughs> yeah wonderful hi my name's andy and uh i'm wondering where the stakes are yeah. It's pretty fucked up. All right. No! <laughs> I'm sorry. I love you. I know you always appreciate movies that kind of transcend the times or like age, you know, like you can enjoy it as a kid and you can enjoy it as an adult. Yeah, yeah. And I know that you love the Home Alone movie, so I just thought that oh, this yeah. was like a Home Alone movie, but plussed up. There was yeah, it was Home Alone DNA all over this. <laughs> it was a lot of DNA, a lot of a lot of other movies DNA, you know, circling through this. Cool. So I'm hoping I'm hoping we end on a good note here. <laughs> what I'm saying a little bit about this film before we start talking about plot specifics. Totally. This movie was budgeted at 15 mil and made 53, nice. so not too bad in the box office. Pretty big hit. Directed by Sean Levy. This was his first big studio uh, project. Previously, he had done like Cousin Skeeter, the show. Oh, I love Cousin Skeeter growing up. And you watch that? No. Uh, you don't watch Cousin Skeeter? I No, I probably... You didn't have Nickelodeon. I Cable was on and off for me growing up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you missed out. Damn. Was a family had their, had their out-of-town cousin come to live with them, but he was played by like a puppet. Oh. So he was like a little Muppet walking around all the time. But like, he, but like he wasn't a Muppet. He was like a person. Yeah. But like, that's how he was portrayed. Was I remember like the visual of Cousin Skeeter. And what's her name was on that show that everybody likes? Megan Good. 
Oh, oh, Megan so, Good. So, yeah, Megan Good was like the best friend on that oh, show. Oh, snap. That's awesome. I can cut some of that. <laughs> so, but currently he's a uh, producer on Stranger Things. Nice. And uh, he's also a part of, or he might have developed the Night at the Museum franchise. Oh, really? Did yeah. he direct them? Um, I don't recall. Maybe? Nice. I believe. Maybe. Written by Dan Schneider, who I think you know. He was like responsible for all, like a lot of the live action Nick stuff when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. So everything, like eventually I fell off his work because I just grew out grew of up. it. But, uh, you know, from all that to Keenan and Kel and the Amanda show. And honestly, even though I was a little too old for it, Drake and Josh was a, was a pretty good time. Yeah. I've watched more of that than I would normally admit. <laughs> um, I haven't seen all of it, but it's a pretty funny show. But yeah, and then I think he went on to do like iCarly and The Victorious and stuff like yeah. that. I haven't seen any of those, but um, people like them. Oh, here it goes! And uh, co-written by Brian Robbins as well. I, I didn't really get to look into his, but they seem to be like writing partners maybe. Yeah, probably. Like I mentioned before, it's starring Frankie Muniz and Paul Giamatti, but also Amanda Bynes. Mm-hmm. I watched so many Amanda Bynes movies back in the day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's so funny because I watched so much Amanda Bynes TV and never saw a single <laughs> Amanda Bynes movie. Whoa. <laughs> this um, is my first one. What a Girl Wants actually might be on this podcast. Oh. That movie really spoke to me. She's All That, I think, is another. No, She's All That. We've. Oh, talked about plenty of sorry. Times. I'm thinking about I'm thinking about the movie where she goes undercover as her brother on a soccer team. It's with um. She's the man. She's the man. Yeah. How do I know that? <laughs> you watched it. I stand out <laughs> But this movie also features a slew of like other stars: Donald Faison, Sandra Oh, Turk. Uh, yeah. Was Sandra Oh how to get away with murder? No, she's Killing Eve. Killing Eve, yes, yes, yes. yes, yes, yes. Lee Majors? Do you, did you know Lee Majors? Yeah, he was... Uh, remember when we were watching really old TV the other night and the Six Million Dollar Man came on? That was him! He's the Six Million Dollar Man. Oh, that's Sweet. awesome. He was Steve Austin, remember? We watched it for yeah. like 10 minutes and then it got real boring. Uh, <laughs> it's fun. Sometimes I like to watch really old TV and try to guess what the show is. Because like, <laughs> we don't... We, we just have the standard bunny ears cable, so I like, turned it on. Yeah. And that started, and I remember, uh, I was like, it's either Mission Impossible or Six Million Dollar Man. I'm calling it. Yeah. I love the intro for that show, too. Oh, it's just like <laughs> Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We have the capability to make the world's first bionic man. I actually didn't realize that was him because I don't know what old Lee Majors looked like. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. <laughs> he played the stunt guy, right? Yes. Yeah, awesome. That was him. Yeah, he was great. Russell Hornsby, Amy Hill. Amy Hill. You didn't do any research? No. There was this one woman in the movie where you were like, I know this woman from something and it's bothering me. Yeah, and you yeah. went to look it up. I didn't look it up. She's in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. That's it. <laughs> She's Josh Chan's mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure I know her from other things too, but that's right. that's a big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So, hope that made you feel better. Yes. John Cho. John Cho, fantastic. Taron Killam. Oh, low <laughs> key, my favorite part of the movie. Oh, that's awesome. I I completely forgot that he was in this movie. To be honest. Yeah, because I I always forget that he because like I I'm a huge SNL head, so like once someone's on SNL, I tend to like associate them with that but i totally forgot he was like a nick kid like Mm -hmm. he was he was a cast member on the amanda show i probably that's the only thing he was on but yeah so just him and amanda binds together 
was like in my head so much because they would do sketches on that yeah. show all the time. He was never on the MTV show, sketch show, was he? What's the MTV sketch show? Mad TV? No, that was oh. a Fox sketch oh, show. Crap. Okay. No, you're thinking of... Wait, was he? Shit, he might have been. I, I just have this memory of him being on a show before SNL. Taron Killam was on one season of Mad TV. Whoa. Yeah, he was 13 episodes. Damn, I totally... Mm. Masha's memory came through. That's funny. <laughs> Damn, and that was the year after this movie came out. Oh, he seemed really young in this movie, but I guess he probably yeah. he was probably just playing younger. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, he's funny. He's good. I'm glad that there was like a little SNL nugget for you. Yeah, yeah. Just a little <laughs> something. But yeah, the last two I'll mention, Jaleel White. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Kenan Thompson. Very short cameo. Yeah, but... I think that's more like a... <laughs> Yeah. Like, he doesn't even have a line. Like, it's more yeah. just like a few recognizable. line. Does he? Yeah. Oh, I didn't remember. I thought <laughs> I just panned by him. And Screech from Saved by the Bell. Oh, right. Yeah, he uh, had a short cameo, yeah. too. Dustin Diamond. Mm-hmm. Dustin Diamond. What a name. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the guy personally, but according to a lot of people, uh, famous people, apparently he sucks a lot. Oh. Yeah. Like, he's just, like, the worst. Mm. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. I hate when that happens. But I could, I mean, yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. Put a big old allegedly on that. I got I got no backup info. <laughs> so I was worried that I wouldn't find a lot of information about this movie, but l- luckily, Big Fat Liar turned 18 this year. Oh. So there was actually a nice article and like some info to like dig up. That's fine. Like, 18 is not a landmark. Like usually you do well, like 15 years old, 20 years old, 25. <laughs> like. Well, you know why? I think it's because it's like this movie is an adult and it's for like... Oh. Yeah. It, the kids who grew up with it loved it, so yeah. I think that's why they right, chose that. Fair enough. So I was mentioning to you earlier, or I asked you earlier if you knew the game Spyro. Spyro the Dragon. I guess so. Yes, yeah, Spyro is. the Dragon. There's no other, yeah. Apparently the Hell DVD yeah. release of this movie contains uh-huh. an unlockable cheat code for Spyro 2 and Spyro the Dragon. What does the cheat code do? As seen in one of Jason's pranks on Marty. What were one of his pranks have to do with the video game? What's the, read the whole sentence. The DVD release contains an unlockable cheat, cheat code for Spyro 2. <laughs> <laughs> you know so little about video games. Cheat, cheat code? <laughs> yeah, it's a cheat code. It's a code for cheating. Listen. Uh, for Spyro 2 Season of Flame that turns Spyro the Dragon blue. Yeah. Did you skip a middle sentence? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it doesn't mean... Oh, that's you want to start over there? <laughs> oh, my God. You get it. Anyway. Um, um, that's pretty cool. Will that make you want to go and get the DVD? No. I also don't have a PlayStation 1, so oh, I don't right. think I'm going to go. I thought you said there was a Switch version. <laughs> yeah, but like, I'm sure they didn't have... I don't know if they uploaded the oh, yeah. the code from, from <laughs> that light. <laughs> but he's normally purple, so I don't think he'd look that different blue anyway. Oh, okay. He's a purple dragon. It doesn't seem like a big enough cheat code. Is it cheating? No, Why do they call it a cheat code? It's just an all-encompassing term. Like, it doesn't always help you cheat. Sometimes it's just like, you know, you could, like, change an outfit or... Like, I used to play NBA Jam, and they would have big head mode, and you would just... Everyone would have big heads, and it was hilarious. <laughs> okay. You know? Well... That's weird. GoldenEye had a Donkey Kong mode, and everyone's arms and legs were real big, so it's like Donkey Kong. I don't understand video games. (laughs) Anyway, I'm just kidding. 
I guess in fun could have been Leeds mm-hmm. news. Um, Lindsay Lohan was considered for Amanda Bynes' role. I could see that. And uh, Jeremy Piven for Paul Giamatti's uh, I role. I could totally see that. <laughs> He's the uh, entourage guy, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I could see him being a jerk. Yeah, I could see that very easily. I can see... It's I, funny, like, balding. Like, they're both, like... They were both balding at the same amount of balding <laughs> in 2002. Him and Paul Giamatti, like... Not quite there, but, like, you could see it. Like, <laughs> coming in. I, I feel like I wouldn't have liked him... Like, I would have gone my traditional, like, not liking the character yeah, route with Jeremy. Maybe, but I also feel like you're you're putting his entourage character... Oh, you know, like he's an actor. Like you, he's not just gonna go play Ari from a show that won't come out for six more years. That's true. <laughs> In composer news, <laughs> which I didn't uh, realize. Oh, new segment, composer news. <laughs> <laughs> because this movie uses so many like "come on, come on" kind of mu- uh, music. <laughs> Smash Mouth. Yes. <laughs> I never acknowledged like that. The original there were score. exactly. Um, but Christopher Beck was behind this uh, score for the movie, and. This w- this movie was apparently his big break, <laughs> oh. even though he had... A- Who is he? He'd previously composed for Buffy and Angel. Nice. Very sweet. And won Emmys for that, and has moved on to do, like, Hangover, Date Night, Frozen, Ant-Man. Nice. Like, Look at this guy. Yeah, he's awesome. And bring it on. Ah. Oh, my God. My favorite. So, that's pretty cool. And uh, I guess two more fun facts before we get into the plot. There was so much inter- fun information about this movie. So it's like Halloween, you're getting fun-sized treats all over the place. Right? So Jaleel White, obviously, we all know him from Family Matters as Urkel. Which he got to play himself in this movie. Yeah. I was surprised. So at first, I thought he was just going to play an actor. But then when he was actually Jaleel White, I, that's that was like some of the stuff where you're like, oh, you like the industry of it? I was like, that's all fun. Yeah. Like, you know, this is... <laughs> Two uh, two years after Curb started, like not that Curb was the first to do that, but like uh. it helped popularize like people playing themselves and being silly, like actors. That's awesome. Well, he this was the first thing I saw him in outside of Family Matters, uh-huh. which was cool. Like I felt like it was that more effective. Yeah. But they actually had had to have a real life conversation with Jaleel because he was literally trying to break away from being urkel. urkel of course yeah, and like he was, it haunted him right and he was really concerned but they like were they had to convince him like this would you know be funny like this i yeah. don't know they basically had to have that conversation well because yeah him. i mean the movie's like lampooning a lot of like hollywood stuff and so mm-hmm. it's it worked like you know what i mean like yeah like he i think it's in better faith that he's in on the joke than to him like to stamp his feet and be like i'm not urkel yeah um, but he's also not just Urkel, first of all. He's Sonic the Hedgehog on two different Sonic oh. the Hedgehog cartoons. Interesting. That aired at the same time. It's fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, two different shows, both about Sonic, completely different. Oh. Uh, maybe even on different networks, I'm not sure, but like truly different shows, but he voiced Sonic on both of them. What? And I haven't seen this new Sonic movie, and I probably won't, but I think it's crazy that they didn't cast him to play Sonic. That's interesting. I love Ben Schwartz, obviously. Like, you know that? Yeah. He's fucking hysterical, but come on. Julia White could have played Sonic. Wow. He would have been great. Wind up those tails, little bro. We need us a dust store. You know, he was like the first person to give him a voice. You know, because he doesn't talk in the video games. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. He's great. What? 
You got Andy facts. You didn't even do research. What the? I, I, come on. I it got, just comes naturally to you. I got Jaleel facts. Just, <laughs> just living in the dome. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I, I have too many facts here. You yeah, should pepper we... them in. Pepper them in. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to front load the episode. Uh, all right. Uh, why don't we jump into a spoiler-free, that's spoiler-free oh, man, discussion. Who can see where this ending is going? All right. <laughs> So we laid out the premise, right? So Jason was supposed to write a paper. His teacher gives him a second chance. And he writes this short story called Big Fat Liar. And I just I like the silliness of like, this kid's 14. That's uh-huh. ninth grade. And he has an assignment to write a thousand word story about anything. And it's a third of his entire grade. Right. First of all, that shit didn't happen until college where <laughs> something was like a third of your grade. Like in high school, that never happened. You know what I mean? Like, right. And so I just thought like, this is an assignment for like a fifth grader, maybe. Yeah. So like when it was, you know, because he writes it in like two hours. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So. I remember being so stressed out, like, oh my god, only three hours to write a thousand words, and now I kind of <laughs> chuckled when I saw it this time. Yeah, it's like I just found it so because like a thousand words is not that much, and also you're learning like that, like. <laughs> Like, 14 is when, like, you're studying Shakespeare and stuff like that. Like, you're not just going right. to like, just write anything for a thousand words. Yeah. <laughs> there was oh. no guidelines. Hilarious. So I just, I found yeah, there funny. weren't any guidelines. No. It was just like, just yeah, just make shit up for oh a my thousand God. words. Anyway, his teacher gives him till six o'clock to hand in this thousand page essay. On the way to drop it off, he basically crashes into Marty Wolf's limo. Yeah. <laughs> And he he basically gets them to give him a ride to this place. Does my biggest pet peeve thing has his book bag open, so his paper and like everything is in his backpack drops yeah. on the floor of the limo, which is how Marty gets a hold of his short story. Uh-huh. I I just want to note that I did like the exchange of Frankie Muniz and Paul at this point in the movie because, to in my head, it was kind of like. Jason meeting his future self if he keeps going down the road that he's going on. Oh, definitely. In terms of like lying. Yeah, like I liked when he gave him when he he told him about how he lied to his teacher and then he gave him advice on how to make it more believable. Right. I thought that was like a nice touch. And I like Paul Giamatti's like an irredeemable monster in this movie, but like they don't they lay it on not as thick as I thought they would in the beginning. He just seems more like impatient and the way they portray like Hollywood producers is just so funny. Like, like I don't think producers just sit there and go, "I got a movie to produce." Right. <laughs> like it was so fucking like a kid's version of, of how that would play out. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, do you really need to be in a limo? Like, I I just remember like when you were at that stage, like anyone in Hollywood drove in a limo everywhere and anywhere. Oh yeah. I can't remember the last time I saw a limo in real life today. <laughs> yeah, like right. you know, it's kind of weird that that kind of is no longer a but thing. you forget we don't live in a uh, holly weird okay. as these guys do <laughs> exactly but yeah anyway marty gets a hold of this paper and you know it's not until the summer where um jason and his friend best friend kylie go to the movie theaters and see a trailer for big fat liar that he realizes that this producer has gotten a hold of his paper and is making this huge picture yeah because yeah, he's been in uh summer school for not handing in the for the essay. Yeah, yeah, the essay. I don't know who the actor who played the teacher was in summer school, but I like they just shot everything in a comically wide angle lens mm. right up into his face. Yeah. And uh it gave me like Ben Stein in uh Ferris Bueller's Day Off vibes. Oh. Like he was very drab. Do you remember like commercials in the nineties for uh Clear Eyes? 
Well, <laughs> yeah, well, no, I wasn't going to say that. Oh. <laughs> um, like, for, like, fruit snacks and stuff, when, like, there would always be, like, a kid and then, like, a super drab adult, like, you should eat your, you know, fruit. And then they'll be like, shut up, you idiot, I got fruit roll-ups. Like, like, yeah. like it was always, like, that era was always just, like, kids, like, adults were always, like, staunch, like, super boring, like, I don't understand anything fun, because I, I let the kid in me die. And then, like, a kid with a backwards hat would be like, meow, meow, meow. Like, right. you know, like... <laughs> Like, we eat Gushers and play Nintendo, you fucking idiot. Our solar system is made up of nine planets. Mercury. Now from Chips Ahoy, there's new Sprinkle Chips Ahoy. With lots of chocolate chips and magical colored sprinkles, there's a party in every bite. Any questions? Could you explain that again? <laughs> Certainly. Our solar system. New sprinkled chips ahoy! A party in every bite. <laughs> <laughs> Rebels. So I got a lot of those vibes of like I was like, oh, this guy's straight out of a commercial for some kind of product for kids. Like our generation loved rebelling. Like, yeah, it was just oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I was, it goes all, it goes all the way back to like the Michael Jackson black or white video when uh, Macaulay Culkin's in his room. And he's listening to that rebellious rock and roll, and his, kid, his yeah. dad's like, "What are you listening to?" And he blasts it. And, <laughs> and it's not—I mean, it's Michael Jackson, so I don't know about rock and roll, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I just love that, like, you idiot, like <laughs> adults just don't get it. Uh, <laughs> I love it. And now there's a generation of adults who can't grow up, so <laughs> maybe that's. Mm. Uh, <laughs> That's a whole other uh, discussion that, that I we... I find that funny. Anyway. But anyway, so the fact that his parents, are, and particularly his dad, is still disappointed in him really drives Jason to want to prove to his dad that he, in fact, wrote his paper and that this guy is, you know... He basically wants to prove that he was telling the truth. Jason decides that he's going to ask his friend Kylie to go to L.A. with him to... Um, get Paul to admit and basically call his dad to pr- uh, to admit that he stole his paper and make all wrongs right or whatever. Yeah. And it's really funny that Jason has saved up all this money from like doing chores and he's a babysitting and other babysitting stuff. and all this stuff. And I remember as a kid being like, "Dang, should I save my my money so if I end up in a situation like this, <laughs> that I'm prepared." I remember having that thought. I mean, in case you need to sporadically fly across the country to prove right. your innocence. Like, what if what if I need to just travel? You no, know? I, like, I, th- I think it was just an easy way to explain why he did that. Because watching it this time, I was like, he stole that money, right? Yeah. Like, like nothing about this kid seemed responsible enough, A, to even get those kind of jobs like mm-hmm. like and be save it like you know i was just like man he's probably pickpocketed <laughs> someone like like we've seen nothing but him just like take the easy way out yeah so like to then tell me that he spends all his free time working and saving his money i was like that's not jason shepherd right well <laughs> like, i yeah he could have just been like a clever lie like he did they put a hint of clever in all of his lies like he knew what he was doing he wasn't just like I don't know. In a lot of them. I don't know about all of them. <laughs> in the beginning, his mom says, did you eat your oatmeal? He said, yeah, it was delicious, and puts it under the table for the dog to eat and just yeah. leaves. I was like, the table... Th- they're going to find out. Yeah, they're going to see the bowl on the table. Like, he's not that clever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But anyway, his him and his friend head to the airport 
when their flight is leaving in two hours. Like, I remember being stressed about that. Like, you should be at the airport already if it's two hours from now. You watched movies so fun. Like, because in a movie like this, I was just like, yeah, they're all, this is all just set up to get to the plot. Like, none of this is going to factor in. Like, it's, it's not going to be an airport scene where they're like, you know how you question, like, the realism in movies? Like, once they present you something, you think of it like how it affects. Is sometimes a fact that they bring in that they introduce you to in a movie kind of derails everything else you're thinking about in the like movie. Like him having all that money. Right. Like, I was just immediately like, that's not the character I know. <laughs> like, like I've, I, we've met this kid. He's... Well, the airport scenario does that for me. I'm like, you should be there already. <laughs> uh, but anyway, they head to LA. It's awesome. This is where, like, the best part, the rest of the movie is gold. <laughs> the best right? part. <laughs> No, first of all, the best part you glossed right over, which is Amanda Bynes is supposed to be staying with her grandma for the oh, summer. Right. And then so in order to trick her, they put Taryn Killam in girls' <laughs> clothes and say, you have to present to be me and we'll help you, you know, with your homework all summer. Yeah. And I kind of like this movie that most when it just goes just full fucking stupid. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? They don't even they don't put a wig on them. They say change your voice, but he doesn't change his voice. He doesn't, but she's like so blind and old. Yeah, you know? yeah. Whatever. So, so I like how the grandma just like immediately accepts that it's his granddaughter. Except she could still notice that he's like muscular and tall, and yeah. so it just becomes like the two of them become workout buddies. Yeah, and like that's just so stupid. Like that's something you would see in a sketch show. You know, like that's not. There's nothing about that. Is like a movie realistic moment, but like I got laughs every time they cut back to those two. Like when she's lifting the yarn balls. Yeah, that was funny. But also when she was just holding his legs while he was doing sit-ups, like I just found that so funny. That it was like such a supportive grandma. That's like, oh, my little my little <laughs> granddaughter just got jacked, so now we're gonna become bodybuilders. <laughs> it was fucking stupid, but oh, I loved it. I'm glad you enjoyed. And that. a lot of it was Taron Killam's performance as the bully. Oh yeah, absolutely. He had my my favorite line of comedy in the movie. Bet you wish you still had your skateboard, huh, Shepard? <laughs> Let's see. Fully developed brain. Skateboard. I think I'll take the brain. But I have your skateboard. I don't know. I thought that was the funniest line in the movie. <laughs> what? Uh, That's funny. That was great. I think, yeah, I think what you said is probably the delivery of Taron Killam. Yeah, yeah. And just, like, play, like, I always say this, but writing actually funny dumb is really hard. Because mm. it's so easy to just write dumb dumb. But, like, very rarely do you hit like a Homer, si- like that was like a Homer Simpson style line. You know what I mean? You get like that's the epitome of writing dumb in my brain. Is, <laughs> is, is good Homer Simpson. So once Frankie and Amanda Bynes get to L.A., you know he continues his lying streak to get to where Marty is to get to the studio yep. on the Universal lot, posing as a uh, I forget. A it's fur like, trader. Yeah, a fur trader, and this is where uh, we see Fez. Faison? Faison Donald for the first Faison? time. I've got 70 show. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. You can also just call him Turk. Turk. That's what I was doing. If we're going to do the Urkel rules of calling someone by their most famous role, just call him Turk. Okay. He drops them off at Universal Studios in LA. And we get to see the awesome sets and the different lots. and Yeah, I mean, they really get the most out of, like, the universal licensing. Everything from they're on the studio tour and they're playing the Jurassic Park music. Yeah. Which, like, obviously, yes, it's kind of like a cheap trick, but, like, that music is so goddamn good. You can, mm-hmm. you can put it anywhere and all of a sudden I'll feel like this is amazing. Yeah. Like, when we go to Universal Studios... That Jurassic Park ride is like 30 years old. Mm-hmm. By all means, it's not exciting. But man, when those doors open up, 
the Jurassic Park doors, the classic ones, yes. and we ride through Goosebumps. them, and they play those music. We've done it twice now, and I'm just like, God damn, <laughs> that is brilliant music. Uh, it's funny because in my research, the director I think was talking about how that would be what all the stuff that they did, like including all the music and all the different franchises, would just would not fly today. Yeah, I think. From a licensing standpoint, maybe because it's a universal film, but it would just look like shilling for Universal. It would be taken that way from the viewers watching this movie. That's like, funny, oh, I, you're just trying I, to. I mean, I it. took it that way, to be honest, this oh, time. Mm-hmm. Like, but I'm not like mad at it. Like, it was still like. Yeah, it was still awesome. Yeah, it was fun. And like, you know, they wrote a movie that takes place in on a movie set. So like. I, I, it wasn't like it wasn't a suspension of disbelief, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not like they just like took a detour and said, "Let's go to Universal Studios and had twenty minutes of showing," you know? Like, That's true. So, but yes, I mean, you know, I am, I do know how movies are made, and I'm just <laughs> like, yeah, you have the rights to this stuff, like put it in there, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> might as well, like, because even then, for someone like me, if I was getting bored of the plot, I could look around. They end up taking shelter in the movie prop house. Mm-hmm. You know, you could just look around and be like, "Oh, look, it's Jim." Like Jim Carrey's Grinch costume was there, and yeah, the, the one of the Velociraptors from Jurassic Park was there, and probably some other stuff I didn't recognize. So, like, you know, I could just kind of look around for a bit because you know you, you know where the plot's going. So, like, it's more <laughs> you're more there for the individual moments uh-huh. as opposed to like finding out if this kid's gonna win. Like, he's gonna win. <laughs> we don't know this, Andy. Oh, yeah. Listen, we're not in the spoiler section. <laughs> But how cool was that props uh, closet, though? Like, the props warehouse? Yeah, yeah, that was fun. That whole montage of them playing around and playing dress-up and shopping, yeah, in yeah. quotes. Um, getting, you know, their materials. The crime montage. Yeah. <laughs> it, no! <laughs> I was just, I was just at that. I was like, commit and cry. <laughs> so cool, though. I would love to hang out and sleep in this oh, warehouse. There's no way those kids took the time to clean up their mess. The fucking next day, someone came in and been like, check the tapes. There was somebody in here last <laughs> night. <laughs> uh, they have a coke machine in there that actually works. Oh man, I was gonna, I was gonna make a Frankie Muniz does a bunch of coke joke. But <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Yeah, and then after that scene is when you see Frankie Muniz in the corner after he does a bunch of coke and he's fucking wired out. <laughs> coke. Coca-Cola. <laughs> yep, Coca-Cola. <laughs> That's what it was. So, for a kid that lies a lot, he's pretty naive thinking that he could just walk into the producer's office and get Marty to confess that he's stolen the short story. Uh, I Yeah, I don't know. I almost, like, because this is, this is when I first learned... That it was about, like what I said earlier, that it was about getting his dad to believe him and not about getting credit for this movie. Mm. So I, why wouldn't he? Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's not like he's telling him to, like, call his boss and say, I stole the movie. He's That's like, true. call my dad. And, like, yeah, there's no Twitter. Like, the dad's not going to, like, there's no way that would get back to Hollywood in 2002 that way. Right. Um, even if he did post it on the internet, like, it was so fringe that it's not, it's not going to blow up like it would today. Right. So I was almost just like, why wouldn't you? And then when they didn't, they were like, oh, okay, we're painting him as the most unreasonable mm-hmm. prick of all time. Yeah. Though I kind of wish that they did like a video call because given Jason's track record, I feel like his father would be like, oh, you're just doing a voice. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that kind of just leads us into the series of events where, you know, Marty basically burns his paper and p- yeah, removes burns, all the evidence. Yeah, burns the proof and just basically tells him like, you're done here. Like, right. I'll never admit it. Get out of here. You're a snot-nosed kid. And from that point forward, Frankie Muniz and Amanda Bynes have to find... 
destroy his life, basically. Like, <laughs> to get him to confess. Yeah, just torment him in every way, shape, or form. So you get to see how Marty Wolf makes everyone who's a part of this production, he makes their lives miserable as well. So he's like not only a villain for Frankie Muniz and Amanda Bynes, but literally everyone in this movie. Yeah, he's the PG version of uh, Kevin Spacey in Swimming with Sharks. Mm. Have you ever seen that movie? No. No. Uh, that's another. That's, I think that's another one of our running jokes. Have you seen that movie? No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's an over the top look at an insane Hollywood producer, which probably has a different context now with all the Kevin Spacey allegations out there. <laughs> but yeah, he's like a goddamn monster, and but it's like tr- it's like R rated and fucked up, and like the way he like t- berates and torments his people mm. in this movie with, you know. Some nice racism sprinkled in because that was still cool in kids' movies. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, like like John shows the one Asian guy telling him how he wants to direct a movie, and he goes, hey, "Confucius, say, calm down there, buddy." Oh, <laughs> like stuff like that. Like, yeah, you know, it's just a painter as a bad movie. But I find that funny that like back to the, our bringing down the house conversation is like. It's a PG movie, but you can still put that kind of stuff in there because it's not "quote unquote" bad words. Like right. you know what I mean. <laughs> so I just find that funny. And then the other shit with the the president, you know, calling his wife like oh Shaniqua and Shanae. What was her name like Sandra or something? Yeah, like, like, I... it was like a very like just like standard name, and he just keep putting like fucking nineties. All right, Monique. Yeah, Mo- yeah. Shanae. I was waiting for Monique, Moesha, and all this shit. Like... Yeah, that was just plain. Up. Um. <laughs> So I just, I always find that funny when it's like supposed to be like PG, because he's always like, he doesn't curse, like, you know, he's very Joe Pesci in Home Alone, Mm -hmm. where like the joke is that it's Joe Pesci who you're used to him saying fuck every three words, but he has to be like, you know, like, like, because it's a kid's movie, but you know, he never calls anyone any racial slurs in that movie. (laughs) I was really hoping that bringing down the house would just forget about it. Oh, no. I just remembered. It's stamped. (laughs) It's stamped. I thought this movie would redeem. <laughs> <laughs> the director, I think, mentioned that uh, even though Marty Wolf is this awful guy, they did want to make sure he was humanized in some way. And one of the ways that they did that was with his monkey, Mr. Funny Bones. Yeah, uh, that didn't really work for me. Really? I don't know. Like I'm supposed to like an adult well, with a with a stuffed animal. Like I'm supposed that's supposed to humanize them. Like well, I'm sorry. It made seem more cartoonish. And I don't so. think humanized is the right the word <laughs> that he used. I think it's more of just like giving him something that he cares about, so that yeah. way they had some leverage. Like he cares about his career, obviously, but like not having that be the only thing that he cares about. Yeah. I'll be honest, when that monkey comes into play at the end of the movie, I forgot it. Like, because there's only one scene. You see him wake up next to the monkey, mm-hmm. and he, like, talks to it for a second. And he's like, let's go start our day. But, like, I think they had they had, probably should have seeded it a little bit more. Because mm-hmm. in the end of the movie, it's so important to him. He's ready to throw everything else away to save his fucking toy. Right. Like, they could have gave him a dog. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I would have bought That's it more. That's more expensive. <laughs> I know, but I'm just saying, like, like, or like a cat, or like a gerbil, like, just something alive. Uh-huh. Like, I just, I couldn't buy that an adult man, especially this, like, someone who's this kind of personality would be that, you like, can... attached to a stuffed animal. I don't know. I feel like it makes sense that he's attached to a stuffed animal, like an inanimate object, because he can't be around people with feelings. Like, he has no regard for them, so he needs to care for something that can't object him in That's any why way. I'm saying you give him an animal. Give him a bird. What if he had a parakeet in a cage? He can be a jerk to a bird. It does, it's too expensive. This movie has helicopter stunts <laughs> and explosions and fucking big jumps. Like, 
they could have got a they could have got All a right. gerbil in a in a fucking cage. All right. The gerbil with the little ball, you know, and it rolls around next to him, and he's just like, it's too complicated to shoot. Got no faith in filmmakers. You know, <laughs> nobody can make a gerbil in a ball. Listen. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Uh, we're gonna cancel Star Wars. It's a little <laughs> too complicated to shoot. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but can we talk about how easily? Frankie Muniz and Amanda Bynes were able to infiltrate his life because of his cell phone. Yeah. Foreshadowing <laughs> on oh, our yeah. lives and how much our phones. That's another time I had to question the logic of the movie. Because mm. right before they steal his cell phone, there's the scene where he can't find his cell phone and he's freaking out in his agent. Right. And he's just like, like, and she's assuring him that it's on his persons and he keeps blaming her. Which works because that's that's their relationship the whole movie is that every time he fucks up, he puts the blame on her. Right. Like, he was freaking out that he had no phone. He realizes he has it, and then he clutches it in his two hands and puts it to his chest. They could have done that with the monkey at some point. You yeah. know, like, and then, so it, to me, it was like, I was like, oh, he's one of those people who his phone is glued to him. He could, if he loses it, his life is a whirlwind. Right. And then when Frankie Mina steals his phone... Like six days go by, and at no point does he ever like freak out that Look his phone for his is phone. missing. Yeah. yeah. So like the fact that it was in his pocket and he forgot and he had a panic attack, that made me. I was like, oh, he's gonna steal his phone, and that's gonna be the catalyst of him being like, give me back my phone. Give me. Right. You tell me the story. That's an interesting uh, thought, actually. Yeah. So then he like for the rest of the and then he just like has a different phone later. Like like later in the movie, he's making phone calls. Yeah. And so it's as if he just replaced it. So then I was just like, eh, I don't know. I get that. Yeah. I, I think that's valid. I, I feel like you're right. The phone could have been the monkey. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I never thought about it that way. That's uh, our segment called Andy uh, Picks Knits. <laughs> when, I, when I nitpick things. Uh, okay. <laughs> Andy Picks Knits. Um, all right. I just want to get to talking about the specifics. All so right. can we go into the spoiler section? Yeah. Let's spoil this bitch. So Frankie Muniz dies. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he jumps off a Frankie Muniz jumps off a building and doesn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> did you? I was. I did a surface digging on Reddit. Do Do you think that it had a lot of Die Hard references? This movie? Mm, no. Okay. <laughs> that was just a side question. <laughs> okay. Why do people think it does? There was one thread that was like he jumps off a roof. They both have actors that were in Family Matters. He gets picked up by a limo driver at the beginning. Oh, I did make the limo reference, remember? Yeah. When he, when, uh, yeah, shit. I compared him to, uh, I can't remember his goddamn name now in Die Hard. But... Bruce? No. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember Bruce Willis's name. It's the limo driver. Car- Carlisle. Oh, okay. Argyle, Argyle. That's it. Oh, what an interesting name. Yeah. He, uh. <laughs> I watched the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce, um, yeah, Turk becomes their friend because basically they almost ruin his life by getting him fired, almost getting him fired for uh, for impersonating who he's supposed to drive. Right. But then you find out that Marty Wolf crossed him back in the day, so he hates him, so he teams up with them. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it's the exact diehard scene where he gives him his number and he's like, "Call me later if you need help." Right. And, yeah. yeah. It's classic Argyle. But I don't know the family matters thing. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, because Die Hard came out around when Family Matters was like airing. Like it wasn't like it wasn't stunt casting. Like they weren't like let's put the dad from Family Matters in here. Like it was an actor right. who got a job. <laughs> and if we're being, if I'm picking all the nits, fucking John McClane repels down a building. He doesn't just jump off a building. <laughs> like he ties a hose around himself so he can actually survive. He doesn't just uh-huh. launch off. <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I don't know, uh, I don't uh, see it. I think one other thing that was like. 
they use red letters on the cover, like yeah. on the poster work. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta filter your Reddits a little better. You can, you <laughs> I don't connect, know how to do it. I don't know how to Reddit. You can connect any weird dots on Reddit if you look hard enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you gotta teach me. Teach me how to Reddit. All right. I barely questioned the tech in this movie when I was younger, like yeah. any other kid. Oh, yeah. So we talked about how they get a hold of his phone at the very top and this kind of opens up. That's how they that's how they devise their pranks. Right. Based exactly. on everywhere he's gonna be at what time. Like they know that he swims every day in the morning in his pool. They know that where his meetings are, yeah. his important meetings with the head of the uh Universal yeah. Studio production. So that's how they're able to lay out their phases to ruin Marty's life until he finally chooses to confess. Yeah. Paul's routine is hilarious and I feel like I really enjoyed like seeing him like dance around his house. That scene I feel like stuck with a lot of kids who love this movie. Yeah, it was pretty funny. I don't he's know. He's a good like physical actor. Like, yeah. Him dancing before he jumps in the pool was was pretty funny. Apparently, like that was all improvised. They were like, "All right, Paul, do you want to talk through this or whatever?" And he was like, "No, like I got it." And <laughs> it just even the way he moves with the towel with the dit dit near 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 like it's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Apparently, they had to do some CGI on the pool water and post because they couldn't get it blue enough on set. Yeah, I mean, I don't think any of that prank made any real sense. You just have to, you just got to go with it. You were complaining while we were watching. Because <laughs> this, he gets out of the pool. His he's blue head to toe, full Smurf, and then it's not until he walks into his house, dances around, goes upstairs, takes a shower. Then looks in the mirror and realizes he's blue, but I'm supposed to believe at no point does he look down and see his arms and legs. He's so concerned about the first... But, like, in the shower, you have to wash your arms and legs. Like, yeah. it's, if you want to tell me he's walking and not, like, look, like look, looking up in the sky, but, like, he's li- you see him literally scrubbing soap onto his arms. Yeah. And I'm supposed to believe he doesn't see that he's blue yet. <laughs> Give me a break. All just because they wanted to have the fucking Home Alone in the Mirror moment. Yeah. yeah, those kind of jokes, like where where he screams and then it pans out to show that he's screaming so loud that the neighborhood can. Like, come on, we've done that joke <laughs> since goddamn. But he does such a good scream. He does a good scream, but like I don't know, it's just. I think Paul deserves an award for his facial expressions in this movie. <laughs> like the eyebrows are insane. Yeah, it's just he's, he's good. He's good. What a guy. But yeah, the blue scene could use a little little tightening up. I thought. <laughs> So they learn about his meeting schedule and basically devise plans for him to like end up in another location, which was pretty fun. Like instead of going to a meeting with the head of the studio, they send him to a kid's party. And at this point, he's already blue and has orange hair. So the kids think he's a clown. Yeah. Like It's just so fun. Yeah. <laughs> There's a point where they malfunction his car. So like when he presses on the brake... His car horn honks. Yeah, yeah. A lot of fun stuff like that. Yeah, you get some good pranks. Like, yeah, the, the conceit of the movie is the pranks. Like, yeah, it's... it's so much fun. <laughs> fun fact. Do you remember the scene where he's being driven by the tow truck driver? Yeah. That guy is actually a writer uh-huh. um, named John Gat- Gattens. Gattens? He wrote Flight. With Denzel Washington. Oh, shit. I love that movie. And co-wrote Co- Co- Coach Carter. Nice. My favorite. Where uh, F- Flight's a future movie, by the way. That movie's fucking awesome. Oh, really? Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> okay. I can't really watch Denzel movies. You're out of your mind. 
I love him. I support him, but I just I can't cry that much. He's one of the best actors we've got. I know it's too believable. It's I can't do it. You gotta. Uh, you gotta stop running away from believable movies. Look, I feel like you're there's... like listen. Who gets blue, and then I'll watch it. <laughs> if, if, if he gets covered in blue paint in training day, then I'll sign up. I think there's a deeper <laughs> thing going on here where I just can't handle a lot of misery. So I just need to. But anyway, so John Gattins, right? He's this tow truck driver. and He has that notable scene, right? They told me to pick up a little blue car. They didn't say anything about a little blue man. <laughs> and it's really funny because that was ad lib. Yeah. They they had written a line for him, and then at the end, you know, the director was just like, all right, like, if went, there's anything. For fun. Exactly. And, you know, that line ended up being used in all of the marketing for oh, this yeah. movie. I, I, I remember that line. Like, as soon as he started saying it, I was like, oh, yeah, that, <laughs> I think that's the tagline of this fucking movie. Uh, so that was pretty cool. I love moments like that. Can I talk about how silly it is that we're meant to believe that Marty Wolf, Paul Giamatti, is, is like, He's on like a downslope in his career where he just had a bunch of bad movies. Mm-hmm. Like the movie he's doing with Julia White is like a, a, a chicken and a cop yeah. like, who are buddies. <laughs> and the and, chicken is the star. Yeah. <laughs> but like in what world is this big fat liar, this great like giant movie that the whole world is excited to see? Because <laughs> first off, they seem to make an entire trailer without even starting production on the movie. Yeah. Which I found silly. And only two months after he... Stole the thing. Yeah, they didn't approve the... Oh, my God. They didn't approve the budget for the movie, but they approved a trailer being a release in theaters. Yeah, release trailer in theaters. I don't know. Like, it just reminded me of, like, like baby geniuses. You know what I mean? Like, I remember when that came out. It was marketed on Nickelodeon. It was for kids. But, like, I don't... You know, they didn't talk about it on Entertainment Tonight to be like, the next big movie is going to be this (laughs) silly-ass shit. So, (laughs) the the big fat liar stories about a guy who lies so much that every time he lies, he gets bigger and bigger and bigger until he's giant. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it doesn't even get fat, which is like such a bummer. Like, I, I thought it was going to look like the blob, like, you know, like when we finally saw it. Right. Because we, we get to see a clip of the Big Fat Liar movie at the end. So I yeah. thought he was going to be like, remember in Eddie Murphy's Nutty Professor when he has the nightmare where he's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man? Yes. And it's a big fat Eddie Murphy walking through a fake I actually city. do remember that. Yeah. Like, I was looking at that, like a big fat liar. And then it was just like, phase on, none of... <laughs> I want to call him Faison Love, who's a different actor. <laughs> Donald Donald Turk Faison. So that's uh, so I just found it silly that like I'm supposed to believe. Like they were talking about it like it was fucking I already brought it up, like when Lord of the Rings came out, like mm-hmm. you would see it on the news. People would be like, This is the next big movie. Like, we can't believe that this is coming out. Yeah. And I was like, I don't think they'd be talking about this. Right. Big fat liar, like uh, in this regard on yeah. TV. <laughs> they should call it Big Fit Liar. Yeah, they should. <laughs> they should. Well, um, they're probably mean like fat in terms of like how fat the lies are. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Frankie <laughs> Muniz is not big or fat. He's a very short little boy <laughs> who is, I have a hard time <laughs> believing he's 14. Like when everyone keeps calling him like nine and 10, I was like, yeah, I believe it. Like in the <laughs> movies, so he keeps having to correct people to say that he's 14. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I believe it. You, you don't look. <laughs> you kept calling out how much taller Amanda Bynes is yeah, compared to him. It's crazy. Which, though, at 14, I remember being taller yeah. than a lot of the guys. Yeah, class. definitely. I mean, yeah, girls definitely grow a little older, but. I'm wondering if that was one of the reasons there was no romantic subplot between the two of them. Just because, like, kissing scenes would have been weird. Like, you know, like, yes. in, in traditional movies, you don't have the girl bend over to kiss a short guy. Right. I actually did love that part of the film, that this really focused on 
Jason wanting to prove that he's telling the truth and take down Marty. Yeah. I love that it didn't get side railed by. Oh, it didn't need it. I didn't want it yeah. to be that. I'm just saying I'm wondering if that was one of the reasons they didn't I feel do like it. someone tried to. Like, there was that moment where they were like, thanks for coming with me. Like, I, yeah. I you know, it just felt like they were trying to go there, but I'm glad that they didn't. Yeah. But I liked it was almost like maybe the original script because usually in a movie like this if it was about two best friends they're usually the same gender Mm -hmm. so i'm wondering if it was written that way and then they just like amanda Bynes was so big and Mm. you know dan schneider worked you know like and then they cast her and they were just like fuck it just rewrite a couple things yeah so yeah i'm wondering if that was i don't know if that's true but yeah so speaking of (laughs) the series of events that happened here we talked about how you know a trailer for the movie exists before the budget was even approved yeah in the third act of this movie there comes a time where Marty has to basically repitch this movie and regain the confidence of the of the studio yeah. to put money towards yeah, this at, movie. Yeah, at the big Hollywood party or whatever. Right. Let me know your thoughts on the pitch. <laughs> because you actually pointed it out while we were watching. Um, I need like, a, a reminder of what it's convi- So Marty basically gives this inspirational pitch about what this movie is going to represent yeah, and yeah. what it's going to be. And you were like, all right, guy, this yeah. is a movie and this is a party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I thought it was just so... I mean, I've never been to these big Hollywood parties like they're portrayed in, in this movie. But, like, I imagine a lot of people there don't want to just gloat about the project they're working on. Like, I imagine that's in bad taste. Yes. And so this guy somehow gets the whole attention of the entire party to talk about his new development on Big Fat Liar, which, again, is the Lord of the Rings, the two towers, of, of Fellowship of the Ring of, yeah. of this universe. And the entire party stops to look up, and I was just like, I feel like they would have been like, guy, tone, we're all movie stars. Tone it the fuck down. Like, like you're not... Maybe one thing, if he was like at a party where nobody was famous, and then he was like the one at Big Shot, but I was like, you're just the fucking guy, and there's no way these people would listen to this. I thought it was hilarious, though, because I didn't realize how animated the extras were yeah like they were all like oh my god like (laughs) yeah i i forgot one one line someone said do you remember yeah and then he's like he's like we've all told a little lie a little white lie here and there and he's like guilty or something (laughs) like you know like this just people were so into participating in this and i'd be like dude none of these people would uh it was hilarious they would be like tone your shit down guy I love that so much. It would be like comedians hanging out at a table and then all of a sudden one starts like bragging that he got on stage and told jokes. Yep. Like, yeah, we all do that. Like, I don't know what the fuck yeah. story you think you're telling me here. Classic Hollywood party yeah, it scene. Ridiculous. It was fantastic. And that was the one where they filled it with a bunch of the child actors. So that's where you saw Keenan, where you saw Screech. Mm-hmm. I really think it was just Keenan and Screech and uh... yeah, the director is actually I learned in that sequence as well. Oh, like really? he's one of the people talking, which is fun. So, you know, now that we're in the spoiler section, what I do like about the end of the movie, or not the very end, but the whole thing is he's like, we got to fucking keep pranking Marty to like finally get him to go. But I like that you know they end up incorporating the help of everyone who hates him. Mm-hmm. And I thought the movie actually did a good job of seeding everyone's reason for hating Marty. So throughout the movie, you see him interact with everyone around him. He's always shitty. And then when it comes to the payoff, for the most part, I thought they did a good job of not only showing us why that person hates him, mm-hmm. but having their prank relate to the thing that he criticized. Them yeah. For. And I thought I was like, that was like another thing where I was surprised by the movie where I was like, Oh, they actually like took the time. Cause 
the whole movie's about pranking this guy. So I thought the first half is them pranking him. And then if the end was just them pranking him harder, mm-hmm. it would have lost some some substance. I'd be like, yes, yeah, they just do more pranks. But like Lee Majors, you know, he's an older stuntman. And the whole movie is calling him like grandpa, saying he's going to die soon, saying your way of making <laughs> movies is old. He wants to use computer effects on his movie and not do traditional stunts. Yes. And then so to fuck with him, he makes him fly up in a helicopter and then makes him do a, makes him jump out of the helicopter with a parachute. So, like, he used old-school classic stunt work yep. to, like, punish this guy. So good. You know, Turk's character wants to be an actor, and he stopped him. for. He said, you're a terrible actor, and he, he blackballed him in Hollywood. So then he has to put on that whole acting scene where he pretends that the truck is... Uh, you know, so he uses acting to get back at him. Right. So I was like, all right. <laughs> Those were real tears. Yeah. So, like, I was like, all right. So this actual, like, they're actually doing something here. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I agree. I love that, too. Yeah. I have nothing else to add. Like, you just <laughs> nailed it. Um, yeah, so, again, and this is just me, like, being a prick and coming into this with low expectations. So, like, anytime something like that happened, I was like, oh, they did their homework. It wasn't just like, now we're going to put gum on his hair. Like, you know, like, it yeah. was actually based on the way he's been treating people. I got to love the whole phase two, phase three aspect of this movie. But it wasn't until we watched it the other night that I questioned, like, where'd they get all this tech from? <laughs> like, what do these buttons do? Oh, yeah. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you could not question. They have uh, one night to make this plan. They got everyone's headshots they, to put yeah, it on the computer. They have these like giant computer screens with the phases. Every time they complete a phase, like an animated picture of it gets drawn on the screen. And I'm Fantastic. just laughing because you're putting together a presentation for work this week, <laughs> and it was like a PowerPoint presentation, beautifully done. You like you literally did a great job. But, like, it took time. Like, like you didn't make it in one night. You were working late for a couple nights in a row to make a PowerPoint presentation. Right. So, like, the fact that, like, they made this... Pl- I was just like, whatever. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not there. Yeah. And also, I questioned Phase 3 because Phase 3 was infiltrate the Hollywood party. But then they got there and then the whole opportunity of him doing that pitch happened organically. Mm. So, like, in the movie, it is like, I'm going to tell him how to sell his movie and he's gonna help me right but he didn't know that opportunity was gonna be formed so i was like what was your phase three like the phase three was to go to the party and hope an opportunity came up yeah so uh <laughs> yeah that phase was a little uh, nonsense phase four is like the best but um how cool was it to see them go to the different sets and stages it was but when i say this movie's got dna of other movies no one's ever going to do it as good as Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, I didn't see that. All right, that's a stay tuned. I love that movie. <laughs> that The whole climax of that movie is the, them running through sets. But, like, you know, A, it was 14 years before this movie came out. But, mm-hmm. like, they they just, like, nailed it so good in that. So when I was watching it, I was just like, I, I see it. <laughs> but then the parts I did like about it, because at first they just run through a couple sets. And then I was like, yep, yeah, seen it. You know, it's been all right. But then I liked when they did more, like, they fell into motifs. Mm -hmm. So, like, when they landed on the Western set, all of a sudden it played traditional Western music. It was shot like a standoff. So, like, they went with the the motifs of the genre as opposed to just being like, we're shooting a movie and we run through. Right. Because, like, for all I know, the gag could have been predated at Pee-wee's Big Adventure, but, like, it's just, like, solidified in pop culture as, like, you run through a movie set, it's it's (laughs) Pee-wee. And then I like they're on the roof and they have the final action sequence and then... You know, the, the white doves flow out, which is a nod to John Woo. I heard Wu. you say John Woo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I literally wrote, I like John Woo doves in my notes. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the, the climax on the roof when they're talking to each other, it's shot with like this 360 camera. 
you know, going around them, which would usually be reserved for a really intense, like, standoff between the villain and the enemy in, mm-hmm. like, an action movie. Yeah. So I like that more than I just like, like, oh, we're running through the sets again. Yeah. And that was another seed that they planted as well. John Woo's character described that's what he wanted the scene to be. Like, that John, was his John revenge. John Cho's name is not John Woo. Jesus Christ. <laughs> John Cho. I love John Woo and Harold and Kumar. <laughs> He's like, do they have white doves at White Castle? Oh, my God. It's just, <laughs> you, that was a mistake. <laughs> I pointed out, you know, he ends up getting Marty to admit the, the thing on the roof. He admit that he stole the movie and then all the camera crew comes out and shows that they've been filming him the whole time. And then yeah. I had to point out that <laughs> I've learned that you love secret recording devices as the <laughs> third act resolution in movies. Because that's exactly how bringing down the house oh, ended. Man. <laughs> Where you get <laughs> I just love when people are able to capture the guilty. You know, like I just love, I just, I love the concept of like everyone knowing the truth and it being like solidified and like yeah. this is the evidence right here. Yeah, but I guess that's a thing that I like. Yeah, it's in a lot of things, but again, and going back to where I think the movie actually seeds stuff well, when we first meet John Cho's character, the director, he wants to shoot this one scene in the movie using twelve cameras and a lot of effects and all these different crews, and he goes. No, we don't have the budget for that. You're crazy. It's going to look good with one camera. Right. And then they end up doing the 12 camera setup that he wanted to do to catch him in the lie from all the different angles. Yes. And I was like, all right, that's a little, you know, it's not brilliant, but like it's it's there. It's, it's pretty awesome. It's, there's, again, there was just, I was surprised there was more movie than there wasn't because there's so many kids movies where it's just like scenes, like, you know, like right. you go watch like Snow Day, like there's no big themes to that movie. It's just like these kids hate the snowplow man and they fight him. Like, you know, like, so... It was, I, I thought, I liked the seating of stuff like that. Yeah. I thought you were going to mention that the audio guys get no love in this movie. Oh, that movie. was horseshit. <laughs> like, he comes, like, the, the, he does his confession on the, on the rooftop, and then there's 12 cameramen filming him from 500 feet away. Like, they're <laughs> all, like, no one's anywhere near him, but yet there's clear-cut, perfect audio, <laughs> and then not a single sound guy, not a single microphone. <laughs> Listen, I work in the sound department. <laughs> we often get shafted left and right by the camera department. No no love for us. Oh. So when I'm watching a movie about filmmaking, I'm always looking, where's the sound guy? <laughs> and then also, when he after he gets caught and finds out all the people are filming him, he looks over the roof, and then there's everybody on the film set, including Frankie Muniz's parents. Yes. How did they hear him? I thought they just had a video village down there. Like, they had a shot where the head of the studio was in front of a bunch of monitors showing the different angles. Wait, the audio come from? Okay, well. <laughs> it cuts that one point to everybody on the ground looking up to him. And in the background, you see one guy holding a boom mic pointing at the building. Uh-huh. Trust me, as a sound guy, you're not getting clean audio. <laughs> I didn't even see that. By standing on the street and pointing a boom mic at the top of a building. <laughs> that is hilarious. Um, so I just had to point out that uh, we often get shafted. <laughs> the only movie where we ever get love is Blowout. Everybody go watch Blowout. It's the only movie but a sound mixer. <laughs> Are we going to watch Blowout? Uh, yeah, maybe. maybe one day. I guess one last fun fact, because I feel like uh, we might have hit everything that we wanted to. Yeah. Two things before we move on. One, I really liked that when we get to the scene to see like this actual movie, them watching the premiere of Big Fat Liar uh-huh. on the big screen. I love that they cast Donald. Yeah. In the movie, like that was just like a nice like cherry on top. Yeah, yeah, because he wanted to be an actor and he was blackballed by Marty, so like right. now he gets the star in the film. That was nice. And I again, you get a nice little glimpse of Taryn Killam and the grandma that they've bonded because yeah. they're at the premiere hugging. Yeah, did that at... make you laugh? Yeah, it did. <laughs> and 
apparently the final scene, the f- uh, the final time we see Paul in this movie, and it's the last scene of the movie where he actually pursues being a clown because I mean, he's kicked out of Hollywood. Yeah, I don't know about the word pursues. I think he more like <laughs> takes it as his only option. I don't think it's his new life. That is true. <laughs> that wasn't in the original cut of the, of the movie. Uh-huh. It originally ended on the movie theater, the movie premiere yeah. uh, scene. And they put it out for testing, and people were like, oh, cool. But you want to end it with a laugh, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And seeing like the final, like, come up and exactly, yeah. So that ended up helping the the ratings somehow. That's cool, which I like, I could go with or without it, like, I didn't really need it, but it's so interesting to eh, see. It was a like, fine callback because it was the son of the guy who we fucked with earlier in the movie, so yeah. like, it, it was, it was, it worked. It's just so if interesting. If I was a kid, I would have been like, oh, God, you know? <laughs> yeah. That was an interesting little nice. tidbit for you. Awesome. I mean, Why don't we uh, move on to best worst? Oh, I love a little best worst. Do you want to start with best worst? Um, yeah, we might totally. have some sa- some of the same stuff. Yeah, sure. I'll do my first one. This is, uh, you probably have the same one as me, but uh, best worst prank <laughs> in the movie. Yeah. Nice. But you go first. I think for best, I think I really liked the Lee Majors helicopter prank. I yes. thought it was the most seated. It was just cool. Like, I, I think it might be some of my bias, too, where I just love me some old school stunts. <laughs> so, like, I'm just like, yeah, give them the old school stunts and show them how it's done. Yeah. But, um, and also, I think they did a really good job. Like, some of the people that Marty torments, you only get a very quick t- snippet of it. But I thought the scene with him and Lee Majors was actually, like, decently long and really, like, showed his frustration with him. Like, it was, like, mm. it was well, I keep using the word seated, but I can't think of a synonym. It was very well just, like, planted. Hey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for, <laughs> hey. For later. So, that was my favorite one. I agree. That was going to be mine. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I thought maybe you were going to say the Jaleel driving because you mentioned it before. Yeah, but it wasn't really a prank, you know? It yeah. was more of like... And it didn't really have to do with their argument earlier either. No. Yeah, that's why I said most of them earlier, right? I was like, it's not everyone, but I think the majority of them were, were well planted. Yeah. Maybe second could be Donald pulling over the limo. Like, it was just like a very realistic prank yeah. but he was able to like you mentioned earlier add his acting yeah the tying to into it. the I, I almost picked that one too but then i was like yeah the tying into the acting like uh, it worked right. for me nice and uh the worst for me was probably the super gluing the headset no uh-huh. because yes it was funny because he was like you know glued to his phone like that kind of thing but it just seemed like it was the only prank that didn't have a grand plan to it mm. the turning him blue led to them bringing him to a party where there was supposed to be a clown that right. they, you know like so they knew that that would lead to that the the car thing led to him you know pissing off somebody on the road and getting beat up or whatever because the mm-hmm. car gets crushed they didn't know exactly what happened but they figured the road rage would kick in so this one it just didn't seem like there was any kind of like grand moment other than he had to like pull it out of his ear and it looked painful right but it didn't lead to like oh he's going to a meeting where it's gonna fuck up this thing you know like yeah so it was the only one that just seemed like just kind of like base level for me yeah, no, that makes sense. I actually didn't think about a worse, so... <laughs> I feel like that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah. If you're a fan of this show, run oh. back to tapes of the old episodes, because I feel like Masha never brings a worse to the table. Oh my god, I'm sorry. You were done yesterday. You, is... were like, you were like, I thought up all my best worsts. It's so hard when you love it. I know, but like, there's no time limit. Like, you're allowed to be like, well, I'm not asking you to come up on the spot. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll, I'll put this worse there, though I did like this prank. Okay. The whole malfunctioning car scenario uh-huh. where they mess with 
you know, the functions of yeah. his car. It just seemed very dangerous. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like I'm pulling an Andy here, <laughs> making it like putting the realism on it. I, I mean, if we weren't to put the realism on it, they would have just broken the car. They were, there's no way they rewired the car <laughs> to do different, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they would have just broken the engine. Like, <laughs> but I will say that I did appreciate the I'm blue, Abu Abu Made me laugh. It's a nice touch. <laughs> yes, it made you laugh. <laughs> Made me chuckle. <laughs> so that was that would be my worst yes. that I put on the table. All right. What's your best, next best worst? Best worst cameo? Hey, that's my other one, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I only came up with two. So that's my other one. Oh, great. Well, cameo is a weird word because cameo actually means like... Showing up as yourself. Yeah. Or, or like, yeah. N- not even that always, but like where the casting is about who you are. Mm. So I actually wrote best side character. Okay, so yeah, that's do, fair. We could do both. Let's no, let's do a uh, side character. Okay, then my side character is uh, Taron Killam. Mm. Just I, I just thought his performance was funny. Like re- like you know he really like played that that doof role really well. And I just said earlier, he had my favorite line. All right, but then so honorable mention, if we had to go cameo, it would be Julia White. That was gonna be my <laughs> best. I. I really question if that's how his personality, like, I, they probably dramatized, oh, like, course. who he is as a person, but I I thought it was really fun and how, I very believable in how Jaleel White might react. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it was great. Um, I mean, I legitimately got a laugh at the, because the whole movie, he gets mad about being called Urkel, mm-hmm. and then uh, when he, when he, when he, throws Paul Giamatti out of his car. I, I forget the exact words, but he's like, Urkel out! You know, and like, and I was like, ah, he called himself Urkel. Yep. <laughs> like, that, that, that was great. That's cool. And worst? Worst, more just because, like, they barely did anything with him, and he only got, like, one little scene was the, not Lee Majors, but the other special effects guy. The, oh. the one who does the computer effects. Yeah. The one who gets called, like, a nerd or whatever. Right. Like, I just felt like he was, like, the least amount tormented by him. And then when he came back to do his prank, I didn't really feel like that moment of like justice. Like, mm. you know, like he was just like, who's the nerd now? Like, you know. Right. It was fine. I don't think it like, like, t- like sucked. But like, mm-hmm. uh, I actually, it's a testament to how much I thought the supporting cast was really good. Because uh, I couldn't really find anyone who I was just like, that guy fucking sucked. Get him out of here. Right. Yeah. I wrote this with cameo in mind yeah. so my worst was keenan thompson just because there wasn't enough of him yeah i mean they didn't do it. yeah he was just there to... i and... think he was just there as like like a dan schneider nod like you know mm. like if you're like the schneider verse that's just funny because what's his name zach schneider does the dc movies so like so um... i always think he released the schneider cuts when it's a schneider verse like why does that sound familiar <laughs> Ooh, release the schneider cut of this movie maybe he's got a director's a writer's cut cool <laughs> so those were your only two yeah i only came up with two do you have another one I, I wrote down Best Worst Set. Oh, uh, okay. Because they go through a couple there. Yeah, yeah. Um, But this is probably just an excuse for me to mention the martial arts sequence. What is that again? So when Paul Giamatti is chasing Frankie Muniz through all the different sets yeah. in the last, in the final act, there's this like quick minute of an actual fight scene going on that they're yeah, shooting yeah, yeah, and yeah. they kind of run through it. And I just, I, I really like that because, nice. you know... They're disrupting the shooting of a scene, and they're actually like doing the martial arts stunts. Yeah, yeah. So I just thought it was pretty was cool. Fun. Nice. I'd probably go best for probably the western set, mm. uh, mainly for the stuff I met before, where I feel like instead of just like running through a bunch of like cowboys, like who's that? Like they just they like more like turn the movie into a western for a quick second. Ah, uh, yeah. So I like that. Um, <laughs> worst, I've no, I can't even remember the other ones to be honest with you. 
Um, Wasn't it like a snow? Didn't they run through the snow? They did. Sure, the that snow. one was pretty lame. Yeah, nothing happened there. Yeah, that was going to be my worst. But fun fact, when they're going through, I think, like a Mexican village, uh-huh. apparently, if you go on the tour of Universal Studios, that's like one of the st- spots. Uh-huh. And they actually played the music from this movie in that part of oh, uh, Universal Studios. That's pretty funny. Which is pretty cool, right? That was my we. That was the, my last nice. best worst. I don't know why I just thought of this. You're not going to remember this because you forget little things all the time. Mm-hmm. But in Arrested Development, when uh, George Michael and Maybe are on set, they're they're out there doing the the studio tour of one of the studios, and then they go by, and then the guy's like, "And here they're filming the great show. Like here we can take a sneak peek at them filming an episode of Malcolm in the Middle." And you see Frankie Muniz, and he just looks at them, and he goes, "Yeah, because it's more important to show how we make the show than to actually make it." Like <laughs> like you just see how annoyed he is. <laughs> that's awesome i don't remember yeah, that i didn't think you would <laughs> all right you want to go down the credits totally well i started best worst so i think you should start beyond the credits all right beyond the credits what happens to our titular hero and his crew <laughs> well first of all i personally don't believe that this movie needs a sequel oh god no which there is one <laughs> Look up the trailer. So disappointed. Yo, there's a movie called Bigger, Fat, and Liar that came out like two years ago. Andy and I looked up the trailer yesterday. It's fucking... It's a straight <laughs> remake, except he writes a video game instead of a movie, which doesn't make any sense. It, like, he writes a video game on, on loose leaf. Like, that's <laughs> like... the. And then he gets that stolen by a big executive <sighs> movie maker. He writes a video game on loose leaf. Like, I don't even know what that means. Like, uh, just, did he write the story? Did he write the... Is there's a code? Is that a bunch yeah. of code on paper? Like, what the fuck did he write? And if you watch the trailer beat for beat, literally this movie. Everything happens. Yeah. They just swapped out the actors and swapped out the medium. And cut down the budget. <laughs> Big time. Yes. It was funny to read the comments like, wow, how ironic that this movie plagiarizes A movie about plagiarism. (laughs) Like like the plots about plagiarism and you fucking plagiarized it. So anyway, disregarding Bigger, Fatter, Liar. Right. Yeah, I don't think it needs a sequel either. There's not, I don't think there's enough meat on the bone to really revisit this universe for like another like, oh my God, what's Jason going to do? I agree. So what's your... uh... But I do think, so my beyond the credits theory is that Frankie Muniz becomes a famous fiction writer and Amanda Bynes becomes a professional impersonator (laughs) or like something about... All right, I I, I have stuff to say about that. Oh, um... I mean... and my third thing was Paul cons his way into another industry somehow. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Oh, nice. What What's your beyond the credits? Uh, pretty much very similar. I mean, I think the most logical like way the movie ends it is I just put he's gonna write a, become a screenwriter like he's gonna get a taste of writing movies and mm. then become a famous screenwriter. So that was like my standard like he becomes a screenwriter everyone's fucking happily ever after. Turk is a famous actor blah blah blah. <laughs> but then the funny thing is is like. Between all the face makeup and all his crazy over-the-top mannerisms, I feel like Marty Wolf becomes, like, a Batman villain. He's totally... Like a like the Joker? Joker? Yeah, yeah. Like, he's a total, like, Joker-Riddler-type character. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I think he dons the blue paint and becomes, like, a crazy, like, Whoa. psycho criminal who has, like, an operation and henchmen and all this silly shit. Oh, that's so, crazy. So, my beyond the credits is Marty Wolf moves to Gotham City. Yes! And then, <laughs> and then becomes some fucking crazy... Uh, super villain yo that's epic (laughs) that would be so crazy 
<laughs> I love that. And his and he's always blue head to toe. That's his thing. Because <laughs> like, he wants to be reminded of his greatest failures, so he can always like you know have motivation. To, <laughs> Yo, to that's deep. I did see a bunch of Reddits about like how Paul Giamatti could be like a great villain in like a Marvel universe or whatever. Yeah, they well, were they were just bringing up other blue characters. They, tr- they tried him in Amazing Spider-Man too, but it was a fucking nightmare. They uh, did. He wasn't. He was like. He was in the trailers, but he ended up being only in the first scene and the last scene. But it was so over the top and silly. Like, he plays this Russian guy. He plays the rhino, but he's like this Russian guy with this thick, fake Russian accent. <laughs> I am the rhino! I told you I would get back! Look, New York! Spider-Man is back! Red boy, huh? The legs are scared you, little boy. You fight me! You fight me now! Uh, that whole movie's a disaster, so I don't really... I'm not saying Paul Giamatti didn't... Like, he came to it playing silly, mm-hmm. and the rest of the movie was trying to play it straight, and it, it just didn't work. Um, but it's not like he was the villain in the whole movie, so it was just like, he fights Spider-Man in the beginning, and then he shows up at the end, and that's it. Wow, I do not remember that movie. The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Is this with Tobey Maguire? No, this is with Andrew Garfield. Oh, that's why. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> is it called The Amazing Spider-Man? Yeah. The whole franchise with that guy is? I mean, two movies, but yeah. Okay. Mm. I kind of feel like it's weird to call your movie amazing in the title. Yeah, but that's like one of the original variations of the comics. Oh, okay. okay. Like, it's like, you know, like, it's, they took it from the golden age. All right. It, it wasn't Hollywood being like... And I appreciate them doing that. I don't like when movies just name themselves the same shit again. Mm. Like, I, you know, I don't. I like Halloween, but I don't like the new ones called Halloween. It's just a fucking disaster. <laughs> Like, you know, call it something else. Yeah, Google so, searching is... After we had Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3, I'm glad the next one was called The Amazing Spider-Man. The Amazing... Like, it wasn't called just Spider-Man again, you know? Mm. So, I like that Batman Begins is called that. It's not just called Batman. It's, you know... <laughs> All right, we went ahead of ourselves. <laughs> well, okay. Andy, this has been years of me trying to get you to watch this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, I have a question. Yes. Do you love what I love? Love it. Love it. I love it. Pretty please. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. The million dollar question. The million dollar question. I am as close to getting to love as I think I can get with a movie like this. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I could love it as seeing it at 30 years old for the first time. Aww. If I, you know, if I was showing it to some, if some kids wanted to watch a movie, I would recommend it. I think I've proven based on everything I've said here that I was pleasantly surprised a lot of the way, more so than I was like rolling my eyes. Mm-hmm. So I do think it works. And as a movie geared at 12 year olds or whatever, 10 year olds, it actually does a good job and like does its best to be a movie. There were, I'm going to pick some nits with this final thing and just talk about... Oh, here we go. I spent most of this thing being, like, talking about my positives, but there were a couple of things that if they really wanted to make it... You know, like, like when Pixar makes kids' movies, like, they make movies. Like, they make, like, truly emotional movies where, like, you go through this arc and you're like... You know, like, Inside Out is hilarious, but, like, you you feel those emotions. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So, uh, there was just a couple of things in here that I thought if if they tweaked it a little, maybe it would have transformed it from a really good kids movie to just like a good movie for everybody okay um, i'm i'm interested to hear what so those yeah, are one of the things i thought 
like, and I, I thought it was interesting when you brought up Amanda Bynes was she's really good in the movie and has funny scenes, but her character has nothing to do in this movie. Like, she has no reason to really want to be there or like or she, ha- she, she has, wanted an adventure. I know, but that wasn't really. I don't know. <laughs> she had no real arc, so mm. the whole movie. I was actually shocked that this movie didn't end with her becoming an actress. The whole movie is her putting on voices and playing characters to help Frankie Muniz with his lies. Mm. It's from the very first scene. She she plays a secretary on the phone. She's always on the phone throughout this whole movie doing things. So I was like, all right. She spends the whole movie, quote unquote, acting. She's in Hollywood, surrounded by all these producers. I thought at least the bare minimum they could have done for her character was have her get like an acting bug. Mm. And then, you know, they could have had it been like, she was like, oh, I love this world. I want to be an actor. And then Frankie Muniz was like, you're losing the reason why we're here. You're supposed to be helping me, blah, blah, blah. And then they learn to not be so self, you know, like anything. Uh... So I thought like, I just thought she had no arc. Like she was just, she was just there to be there to be funny. You know, if if the movie, this is just me saying, like, if you really, if I really wanted to make this, like, I, I love this movie. And something I really, that was missing. Yeah. So, like, I think they could have done something with her. And I, even just at the very end, just had the producer been like, hey, I heard some of your voices. You ever think about acting? Like, uh, you know, a bare minimum. So, yeah. So that would have been cool. Yeah. So that's why I found it funny and beyond the credits. So you said she would become a professional impressionist. Like, I was just like, I'm surprised she's just not in the movie. Like, mm. she's not in Big Fat Liar. Like, you know, I don't think she, like, I like that Turk was the lead. Like, I think that makes more sense. But she could have. She could have been in the movie. Yeah, like, they could have had a quick shot of her doing a funny voice in the movie. And then been like, ah, the voice has paid off. So I just felt like. I never thought about that. I just think her character didn't really have much going on. And then also with the, the stuff with the parents. One, I don't know. I feel like. The mom could have been out of the picture in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, it could have been a single dad raising his son. Yeah, and I think it would (laughs) have. It would have lent more weight to how he felt. Like, it could have been, like, you know, maybe the mom had died, like, or maybe he was close to the mom and not so close with the dad, and then she died. And then ever since his mom died, that's why he started lying. Right. You know what I mean? And then, like, he started acting out because he lost his mom, and then now him and his dad have always had this strained relationship, and then this was the last straw. Like, you know, something like that, where I just feel like I don't even know why the mom, she barely even talks. She's just always standing there. And he always, the whole movie, he's like, I gotta prove myself to my dad. So I thought it would, like, could have been cool if that if it was something like that. I, yeah. I feel like it was like, this is America. And in America, kids have two parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. And then to just round it more to make everyone a little bit more human, I thought, yes, the dad should have forgiven him in the end. But I think he would have been more of a real character if he was still a little upset with him. Mm-hmm. Because, like... He was, like, proud of him. Like, you did all this just to prove you weren't lying. Like, you know, he could have been like, how about you just don't lie? Like, instead of trying to go through these big, <laughs> big showcases to prove who you are, like, like yes, I'm I'm glad that we, we cleared this up and I'm happy you're an amazing writer and I want to cultivate that. But, like, you know, how about you just try telling me the truth from time? Like, you know, there could have been, like, a little human moment. But <laughs> instead he was just like, you're one hell of a kid and, like, gives him a nuggie and shit. And I was just like... Like, a real dad would have still had to talk to his kid about this. Like, he still lied, went across the country, almost got people fired, stole shit, like, like put himself in danger. Like, even jumping off the fucking building, like, you know what I mean? I'd been like, like, don't you ever fucking do that again. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't, he would have been like, hey, you don't have to do all this to prove <laughs> that you're not a liar. Like, just, right. just be, be there, be there and don't lie and we'll love you. Like, you know what I mean? So... It was just those moments where it could have taken it hmm. one next level to, like I said, like a Pixar movie where, like, you actually go through the growth 
with these characters a little bit more. Right. And also, I think they kind of copped out by, in the scene when he calls his dad to finally admit he's a liar. Mm. I don't know why they cut that out of the movie. Like, you see him pick up the phone, he goes, hey dad, I have something to tell you, and then it's a hard cut. And then the next scene, he's just like, all right, so my parents are coming tomorrow to pick me up. Right. And I'm like, man, you lost all your emotional weight. Like, you could have actually had a, a good acting moment of Frankie Muniz talking mm. to his dad and, like, showing us that. That's interesting that you say that because I felt like I got what that conversation was. Like, I feel like I didn't need to see it. Okay. I mean, I got what it was. Like, the movie tells you what it is. But yeah. I'm just saying, like, if you want... For me, you gotta have a little more emotional weight. Mm-hmm. So, like... Yes, the movie's very, it's very fun. Like, I was actually surprised. I thought I was going to be bored. Mm-hmm. So I thought I thought I was going to hate this thing. And it was like, it moved very well paced. The The constant influx of good supporting characters really kept me engaged. The planting and like the seeding and then the execution of things, like all that was really good. I just had to make a couple of lists of things of the reasons why I can't be like, I love this movie the way I love Toy right. Story, the way I love... I'm trying to think of non-animated kids movies I love, but it's hard. Like, I don't know. Ninja Turtles. I don't love Ninja Turtles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Drugs, bud. Your brain must be, like, really messed up. That, those are the things that drew it back from me saying that I can truly love this movie. Mm-hmm. But I can recommend this movie now. Like, it's... Look I actually that. think it's good. And like I said, like, if I was babysitting and, like, some kids wanted to watch this, I wouldn't be bummed. I'd be like, yeah, let's pop it on. There's some funny stuff in here. Cool. Like, you know, there's some there's some good gags. There's some good acting. There's some good, you know, character moments. Yeah. Like, it's got a good lesson. So, it's got a lot of it's got a lot of good DNA of a good kids movie, and I do actually enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just loved for me. Like, it's, it's a strong word for... I gotta, I gotta... I gotta love all the aspects of a movie. Oh, that's so sad. I... I accept your decision. <laughs> but if you didn't accept it, what would that mean? <laughs> but you know, like I like what you said that as a thirty-year-old, you can't l- get to the place where you love this movie. Like yes. you had to have watched it at that yeah. time. And like I said, if it came out three years earlier, I think mm-hmm. I would have loved it. If yeah. It, if I was nine instead of twelve, I would have thought it was the funniest movie ever. Mm. You know what I mean? It's just like it's it was a time and place. Yeah. And you'll notice, like I think you even said, like. You were on Reddit and someone wrote like 92 Kids Unite. Yes. Because if you were born in 1992, you were the perfect age for this movie. Because you were nine years old. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, or 10, whatever, I don't know. Yeah, we don't do math here. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's my opinion. I appreciate your honesty and your acceptance of this movie. There's a small part of me that's like, victory! (laughs) (laughs) You've proven Andy wrong. This this, this wasn't a... Come on, (laughs) proven me wrong. (laughs) This wasn't a bringing down the house scenario where it wasn't I told you so. Right. You told me so. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I, I thought that you brought up some really great points and I... And a lot that would could could have made this movie stronger. Yeah, yeah. I've never thought about before. That's pretty cool. Um, nice. So yeah, before we wrap up, uh, we could talk quickly some Frankie Muniz stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's actually like a really a tragedy what what happened to him. You know, after you know he was a child actor for so long, big, and then he's kind of stopped acting for a little while, and he wanted to get into race car driving. So he was a race car driver for a while, and then I actually don't. And again, I didn't do any research before this. So this is all off my memory. I don't actually think this had to do with race car driving per se, but he suffered, I believe, a really bad aneurysm in his brain, Mm. and he ended up recovering, but he actually suffers from a great deal of memory loss these days, and it's like one of the saddest interviews I ever saw before was someone asking him about Malcolm in the Middle, and he was like, I wish I could tell you more things, but I don't remember making that show. 
Wow. Like, I know I was there. I can see the episodes and, like, it might jog certain things. But, like, I don't have a day-to-day memory of going on set. And he was on that show for, I think, five years. Like, like that was, you know what I mean? So, it's, like, this really, it's kind of sad. And he does still, like, act here and there. Like, he showed up in uh, one of the Sharknado sequels. And I remember it was, like, it was, yeah. like, a nice, pleasant surprise. I think I've seen him on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, he like, was on Dancing with the uh, Stars. Hosting or something. So, he, he did recover. And, like, he's physically, like, healthy again. Like, you know, like, he's, I don't think there's that kind of danger. But, right. yeah, his, like, brain got altered, like, crazy and stuff. Yeah, one of the questions I had was, I wonder if he remembers making this movie. I mean, I gotta mention no, because this was 2002, and Malcolm mm-hmm. Middle was 2000 to 2005. That's so a I, shame. I think it's, like, right in the right in the trunk of it all. This is gonna have the biggest, allegedly, of all that I, that I dropped, <laughs> okay. so, like, this is not me stating facts. I'm just going by some rumors that I saw on the internet, but there's a lot of people saying that we're just counting down the days until there's a giant Me Too on Dan Schneider, the writer of this movie. Oh, here it goes! No way. Yeah. Um, again, allegedly. This is truly alleged. But um, he recently like left Nickelodeon and uh, after like working with them for like 20 years straight. And, you know, the, the statement they released is just like, oh, we wanted to go in different directions. We no longer kind of want to we, we want to try different kind of projects and we've been working for him for so long. It was an amicable split, mm-hmm. but there's just a lot of rumblings on the internet. And the only reason I'm even bringing this up is because I remember like all the Louis CK stuff. Like I remember hearing about that on forums like seven years before all of a sudden newspapers were talking about it. And then everyone was like, Louis CK is a pervert. Like I heard I had him jerking off in front of women for a couple of years before that happened. Wow. So there's just a lot of, People starting to tell stories of him getting a little too... Because all his TV shows involve, you know... Young. Young girls who... At some point I'm go trying crazy? Not to, I'm trying not to use the word attractive young girls. Okay. I'm trying to say, like, like you know, like... It's the only word I can really use. And then, you know, just a lot of him, like, being a lot of, like, touchy-feely and this and that. And then there's even, like, YouTube compilations of, like... There's just a lot of plot lines involving girls with their bare feet hmm. and like not that that necessarily means he's a he's a fucking pervert but like you could just you if you watch a collection of them like all the way from drake and josh to iCarly and all this shit you're just like whoa there's a lot of like just a lot of allegedly creepy things going on as in like are close-ups of the bare feet what not like just, just like, them <sighs> in scenes with bare feet like, like what's going on yeah just like a lot of like a weird like, I think there was one from iCarly. Because, like, what is iCarly? The concept of that thing is she has an internet show. Yeah. Yeah, and then so she was like, on this week's episode, we're going to cover our feet in ketchup. And then they, like, put their bare feet in front of the camera and, like, smear ketchup all over oh. them. And then, like, there's one, like, a girl's, like, shooting bow and arrow with her feet. Again, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. This is allegedly, I'm not trying to break any ground here. I don't know shit about shit. Right. I'm just saying, I've been hearing these rumblings and with certain other celebrities that's happened in the past. And then all of a sudden... It just like the ball drops uh-huh. one day, and I, so I just think the around the time that people on the internet were talking about this was the same time that Nickelodeon decided to split with him, and it just it all kind of mm. works out. I might be completely wrong. He could be a very nice man. I right, tr- we don't know. Truly, don't know. But I just had to bring like when you said Dan Schneider wrote this, that's immediately what popped in my head, and I was like, whoa, Dan Schneider. I haven't thought about him in a minute. Oh wow. Um, and having said that, I love. All that. I love Keenan and Kel. I love a lot of his work. <laughs> oh, man. That's crazy. So, writer Dan Schneider, 
who knows? <laughs> I'm just saying, if it happens in a couple of years, we call, I called it. Wow. But if it doesn't, we also called it. Yeah, <laughs> like, if, it doesn't, if it doesn't, then I'm talking shit, and I'm sorry for dragging uh, someone's name through the mud for no uh, reason. Oh, rumbling. And also, we have like 10 listeners, so I don't think I'm dragging anyone's name right. through the mud. <laughs> but regardless, I'm very happy that he wrote this movie. It really... Yeah, I think he understands kids' entertainment. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he, he really, like gets how to how to make like something funny that i'm not gonna say it's fully for adults because a lot of this is very silly yeah but you know he can kind of he gets it he gets kids humor right yeah Yeah. at least our generation yeah or my generation i should say i mean we're like you were too cool for it (laughs) (laughs) we're in the same generation all right Well, thanks for listening, guys. That's our show. If you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Also, if you have any opinions on what we discussed, follow us on social media at Love What I Love Podcast or at LWIL Podcast. That's a great place to find out what we'll be talking about next. And as always, if you have time, please take a moment to rate and review. Every bit of feedback helps. I'm Masha. And I'm Andy. And I hope you love what I love.